are listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. So here we are, our first podcast, uh, The Heart of the Ark. And so we invite our listeners, and uh, we'll tell you more about who we are and what we're about, but we invite you uh, to begin, and we'll do this each time we get together with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. But we ask you to bless this first podcast that we offer, and we place this all in the care of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We want to welcome everybody to this first podcast of The Heart of the Ark. We call it that because we are from the Office of the Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, or some might call it the New Ark. And the Ark of the Covenant is, of course, uh, that holy place that the most sacred relics of the Old Covenant were, were placed. But it's also a reference to the Blessed Mother, because she was the Ark in whom Jesus found herself. And it's a reference to this city, Newark, and the Ark was always a place of safety and refuge. We call this the heart of the Ark because the Cathedral Basilica, which we can see from our window, is the dedicated to the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary. And so we find ourselves right here gathered in the heart of the Ark, and we invite all our listeners to enter into this Ark with us, into the heart of the Ark, as we look at who we are, what we're about, and this tremendous task of fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave to us. My name is Father John Gordon. I'm the Secretary for Evangelization of the Archdiocese of Newark, the Director of the Office for Evangelization, and I am accompanied by... Jennifer Benke. I am the Associate Director of Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark. And I have been the Director since July, I think, of 2015, and Jennifer just came on in November, Yes. uh, this past November, and I have to confess, I'm thrilled that she's here. It's because of Jennifer's tenacity and faithfulness that we're able to finally make this podcast happen. And so, Jennifer, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking this position to work here for the Archdiocese in the Office for Evangelization, but in particular to bring the many gifts that you have and the passions that you share. Uh, to this particular task. So what we'd like to do to begin is introduce ourselves, a little bit more of our backgrounds, and then have an initial conversation that we invite you to just uh, join us for. So as I said, my name is Father John Gordon. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Newark, almost 34 years. I was ordained in December of 1988. I had done my seminary studies at the North American College in Rome at the Gregorian University. And my first priestly assignment was at Sacred Heart in Bloomfield, which is actually Jennifer's home parish. And then I was at uh, Lady of the Visitation in Paramus for several years. I was a chaplain at St. Joseph Regional High School in Montvale for four years. From there, I went to St. Mary's in Rutherford, and then from there to St. Adalbert's in Elizabeth. And then I had the privilege of being at Franciscan University of Steubenville for four years, directing the pre-theologate program of discernment and formation for college students thinking about the priesthood. I came home and was assigned to Holy Family Parish in Nutley. I was there for eight years. And then for the past seven years, 
I've been the director of the Office for Evangelization. So that's my kind of priestly ministry work. But before I became a priest, kind of like my own road to conversion, I was born and raised a Catholic in Long Island, New York. Went to grammar school, St. Patrick's Parish in Glen Cove. Went to high school at Fordham Prep. Did half my undergraduate work at Fordham University and then graduated from Seton Hall. But along the way, I would say that I got radicalized and politicized in my faith during high school. I went to high school in the late 60s, early 70s, and on on the college campus, since it was a very radical time, uh, all about thinking the right way about politics and the war and Cesar Chavez and all that kind of stuff. And so I really bought into that. I really bought into the Catholic ethos and, and really found it to be very, very inspiring. Went to college for a year, discovered there's more to life than school, and so I failed out of for not attending classes and doing all the work I was supposed to do. And during that time when I was away, I really found myself very active in the parish, discovered a Bible study, Justice and Peace Commission, and then I found that there was a prayer meeting in the parish, and I didn't even know anything about that, so I went to this prayer meeting. It was uh, just 44 years ago, last week, and I went to this prayer meeting in the parish, I'm a 19-year-old young man, and there's a bunch of women my mother's age, I thought they were old, younger than I am now, sitting in metal folding chairs and praying. And I was blown away by their prayer because they prayed like they knew somebody else was listening. And I never heard people pray that way. I was I was gobsmacked. It was a charismatic prayer group. They prayed in tongues. They prophesied. They prayed over each other. Uh, They read the scripture. They did everything short of swinging from the chandelier. (laughs) And the weird thing was that I didn't think it was weird, and I should have. Something told me that this was all right and good. And so I just kept coming back and kept coming back. I did not know that going to that prayer meeting was going to change my life. The way I describe it now is it awakened in me a hunger I did not know I had. So I just kind of fell into that and really invested myself in that grace for for many, many years. I ended up getting back to Fordham, being part of a large prayer group on the campus of Fordham University, ended up getting an apartment in the Bronx and living with a bunch of people seeking to be intentional about sharing our Christian life together. And then I was invited to come to New Jersey. I was invited to come to St. Antoninus Parish in Newark that was being staffed by the People of Hope community. And they were offering me something that no one else was offering me as a young man, which was formation, formation as a Catholic man. And I said, I want that. I said, I need that. And so I packed up and moved to New Jersey and was invested in the parish, was part of the parish staff there for several years. And during that time, I continued to discern about the possibility of a vocation. I think my experience of the baptism in the Spirit with that prayer group really kind of stirred that up in me. But I didn't know how to make it happen, and my academic work was kind of spotty, so it seemed like if it was something that was very, very ephemeral and might not happen. But there was something that stirred in me that I wanted to do something big for God because of this great life that I was now experiencing in Him come to learn subsequently that I think what I really desired was to live fully for God, but I didn't know how to articulate that. So the only language I had was to become a priest. 
My life and the people of hope helped me realize that all of us are called to live fully for God in whatever vocation we find ourselves in. And so I realized that I don't have to be a priest to live fully for God. Well, that was pretty cool. And so it opened up in my own mind and imagination all sorts of possibilities. So after about a year or so, I was invited to discern where I find myself living this faith in the state of marriage or the brotherhood, which was a, a group of men living single for the Lord. And when I brought it to prayer, I heard the Lord say, John, I want you to be my priest. And that surprised me because I just felt I was tainted and wounded and, you know, didn't have my act together. And I said, Lord, you still want me? And it was just a beautiful experience of the Lord speaking powerfully to me that, yes, he does want me. And he called me by name to belong to him. So I went through the path of preparing for that. I had to finish college yet and all sorts of things. I ended up finishing at Seton Hall as part of the college seminary at St. Andrews. From there, the uh, diocese sent me uh, to uh, North American College in Rome to do my seminary studies. Just before I went to the seminary, I made a Crisio weekend. And during the course of that Crisio, it was originally going more out of professional interest. You know, I was involved in the charismatic renewal. I was part of this People of Hope community. Uh, I heard about Crisio, but I, I didn't need that. You know, that was all, you know, that's, that's, that was extra. But as we got closer to the Crisio, I really heard the Lord tell me, uh, Go for conversion or don't go at all. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm open to conversion. So during the course of that particular Corsillo weekend, we had some free time. I don't know how they did it because the Corsillo weekend is so full. Anyway, maybe I was playing hooky from a talk, but I was in the chapel by myself and I was naked as it were, uh, not physically, of course, but just in my mind, I was just, Lord, I'm here on my own. I'm not here as a seminarian. I'm not here as part of this People of Hope community. I'm just here as John. Do you do you still want me? And there was some silence. Like, it wasn't like, uh-oh. And then I did hear in my heart, clearly the Lord said yes. And that was the conversion for me. I know God wants me. Me. Yes, he wants me to be his priest. Yes, he wants me to live fully for him. Yes, he wants all these other ways in which he gifts me and I try to serve him. But most of all, most fundamentally, he wants me. And if I do nothing else but share that and invite others to know that, that's a great blessing. Anyway, dear listeners, I know that's a lot. With Jennifer, her mouth is wide open. Her hair is flying out of her head. <laughs> well, I didn't know all this about you. Maybe I have to rethink this job thing here. No, but the truth is, thank you for listening. And Jennifer, please tell us about yourself as well. Thank you, Father. You inspire me daily as a boss and as a fellow Christian working in the in the vineyard of our Lord. My name is Jennifer Benke. I was raised in Highland Lakes, New Jersey, which is up in Patterson Diocese. I'm a Patterson girl, but I like Newark. I've been here for quite a while. I came to this position, just as, as Father mentioned, from a full-time position at Sacred Heart in Bloomfield as a music director. Music has always been my passion, and I feel that I have a talent that God gave me, not just with a big mouth, but... <laughs> But in a way to uh, inspire others through the use of my voice. So I, I grew up in Highland Lakes, New Jersey. I went to the little public school up there. My, my mom is a teacher. I grew up in a small community, Our Lady of Fatima, in Highland Lakes. And we had a, a priest, Father Bush, who kind of ruled with an iron fist. He was a, a throwback. But he, in a very deep way, he inspired a lot of us, even though he was tough. It was right after 
Patterson had come out and said that girls could become altar servers. And Father Bush pulled those of us aside who were possibly thinking about it and said, no, not in my parish. But not for the reasons that you think. He really believed that altar service was a preparation for the service of the Lord and priesthood. And so he really wanted us to think about the ways that we are called to give our gifts and give them fully to the Lord. So he said, you know, I I don't want you to practice for something that has a ceiling. I want you to think about your life without a ceiling. Praise God. So uh, my friend who was really an excellent reader, she was always in the library. Her mom volunteered in our little local library. She became a lector. And another friend of mine whose parents were all teachers, she started working with the CCD program from a very young age. And she's now as she's won New Jersey Teacher of the Year. You know, wow. she's, she found a vocation yes. in our little parish. And for myself... I had a pretty voice. My parents sang in the choir. I always was up in the choir loft. And when my grandfather passed away, I sang on eagle's wings as a, or eighth grader. My priest said, if you can sing at your grandfather's funeral and keep it together, you can sing at anybody's funeral. And I, he had already allowed me to start singing the really early morning mass at 730 from the time I was in sixth, sixth grade. So I began just cantering from there. So I've been, since 13 years old, I've been up every Sunday morning next to a priest with my hands in the air saying, come on, get on the boat. Let's all sing it together, right? So I was raised in a very Novus Ordu, you know, we were singing everything from Godspell to, you know, Ray Rep music. And when I went to college, it was a, it was a big change for me. I never left home. I was in the plays, I was musicals, I was in choir, but I never, I never went out from my little hometown. So when I went away to college, I went to the University of Rochester, and it was the first real time that I didn't feel connected to my faith. And I got kind of lost there. And I bought into all of the secular ideas of like, oh, they send you off to college and you fall away from your faith. Well, it's it's a turning point in everyone's life. And it took me three years to find my way. The Newman community on my campus, was I was not connecting with people there, and I didn't feel a connection to my faith. And um, it was only when I was asked by a music teacher if I would like to audition to be a soprano for a local parish off campus. I started going back to Mass pretty regularly, honestly, because there was a paycheck involved. And I didn't know why... I was there besides, you know, singing the top line in the quartet. That experience really drew me back. There was a young priest read at a seminary who spoke about the precious blood in a way that I still think about every day. And ever since the pandemic has taken that from us, every time we go up to communion, I feel that loss deeply. And then I moved to New York City. I got a job working at a major arts organization there and then eventually applied for grad school, got into Manhattan School of Music for classical voice, studied there. And I was still living like the secular, very secular life and yet singing on Saturdays and Sundays at churches. And there was 
like these two halves of me that were not integrated for a very long time. They weren't even integrated until, you know, I got married very shortly after being married, got pregnant. So I had twins and that was a whole journey and I had some health issues and uh, it just, I was still singing in churches, but I was still kind of keeping the Lord at arm's distance. And as, as life is want to do, it's difficult at times and the good news is that right before I kind of went into a, a very difficult time from emotionally upheaval for my family, another great young priest came into my life and said, you need to, you know, put your hand down and let the Lord love you. Mm. He, you need to bring him in closer. And that was a real grace. I went, I went back to confession. I went back to um, praying the rosary. From my point of view, the rosary was for little old ladies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So going back to um, praying the rosary um, daily and learning about the chaplet of divine mercy and really understanding that sacrament of confession really created a whole conversion in my life, which then prepared me to face some of the toughest things in my life, which was, um, as, as you know, the loss of a child to stillbirth and then eventually the unraveling of my marriage. So those things really were not going to be survivable without a spiritual life That's as, right. as, a, as a lifeboat, as a life vest. The Lord really reached out to me before, you know, he knows all. So he knew what was coming down the pike. And I really think it saved my, my life, my emotions, my psyche, my everything, saved me and my kids. So uh, since then, right after I uh, buried my baby, the priest at my parish said, would you take on the children's choir Mm -hmm. as a, as a vocation? Would you start a children's choir? And it really profoundly affected me. You know, I, when I think back after, after all of my performances, after all the things that I've won competitions or performances I've given, the times that I got the most feedback from critics or from audience or from winning competitions or all these things if i think if i think back to those moments it was always when i was singing some secular prayer i was singing um for i was i was doing all these prayers and i realized it's when i really truly own the two halves of who i am that i feel like i'm touching more people i'm i'm able to do all the expression that i only can dream of when I'm only engaging one half of myself or the other. So this putting myself back together spiritually has been really important to me and it it's saved my life and it saved my creative output and it gives me the opportunity to use my gifts and my voice that God gave me. So So when you say the secular prayers, these were like arias or prayers in a secular opera, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, songs written by sure. composers that were not, you know, the Ave Maria. Right, right. it wasn't written as sacred right. music, but it's a no. prayer within the opera. Right, beautiful, right. Beautiful, beautiful. So the times that I was I was winning these competitions or wow. I was winning a, it, um, I was kind of like in the moment and people were really moved to the point of, of yeah, we want to hire you. Were times when I was you know, singing to the Blessed Mother mm. in German from a Wagner opera, not... <laughs> One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yes. And I think that's what was happening. The desire of your heart is the music. Yes. Um, in terms of that you have... That itself was a salvation for you, you know, without a ceiling. 
and then, then the church and your faith became an ark, as it were, a life raft uh, that allowed you uh, now uh, no longer this, you know, sixth grader, eighth grader sitting at your grandfather's funeral, but now uh, a mother and um, having having buried a child and and buried a marriage in a certain sense, as you said, uh, that that you now realize you need more than just you know the choir love to hold you, yeah. and and so <laughs> uh, and that's just a wonderful thing, and you know. Uh, when Jennifer first came and submitted a resume for the position and we met, I was very excited about your faith and about your talents and gifts because Jennifer does many, many things well. She especially does well the things that I don't do well. (laughs) (laughs) So, for example, just making this happen and the details for it, Jennifer made happen. I've been thinking about this for a while, but it was Jennifer who really put it all together. Um, you know, we've talked before about the, the transcendent attributes of being, which is a fancy way of saying goodness, truth, and beauty. And one of the things I've often felt is that all of them are part of who we are. They express the deepest part of ourselves and the highest part of ourselves. But we tend to be oriented more towards one or the other. We certainly Most of us have a hierarchy of them. We don't see them on the same level. So, for example, for myself, truth is what most attracts me. So I'm a nerd. I'm a brainiac. Not a brainiac, but I like to read. I, I like to get into the weeds in that regard. I love those kinds of uh, thought processes. And so truth has always been an important piece for me. Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's one of those truths that, things that grab me. For yourself, especially with music, um, beauty is what kind of grabs you. As you said, it's your passion. Music is your passion. And so one of the things that we're going to try to do as we move on from this podcast is to offer similar podcasts. Jennifer will kind of lead a series based on this concept of beauty in which it'll talk about everything from music to science because science is an expression of beauty. And the goodness, and and myself, I will lead a series of podcasts which might dig into some aspects of the truth, interview some people on different parts of how the truth is expressed and, and lived and communicated and changing our lives. But the goodness part, I think, is a part about community and fellowship and uh, ways in which the, the the lovely things happen. And that's something we want to continue in this podcast that we do together. Absolutely. And I think that's something very, very exciting. We've shared a little bit about uh, how we came to be where we are, about our own experience of the Lord and how we find ourselves in this particular position with a passion for the Lord that I would suggest includes a passion for others to know about the Lord. You know, as a mother, for example, you are passionate about your children knowing the Lord. And and from our conversations and from having met your wonderful children, um, you, you work on that. You do that. Your whole approach as director of music uh, in the parish has not just been about creating a quality music program, but creating a quality music program through which people could experience the Lord. For myself, I remember very clearly a conversation I had with the rector of the college seminary when I was thinking about this whole vocation business. And I remember him saying to me, John, if you could just be a priest today, you don't have to go through all these hoops, be a priest today, how would you experience or how would you want to experience your, live out your priesthood? It was one of those moments where the words just came to me, and it was, I would love to help people come to a uh, an experience, an encounter of the Lord Jesus in the context of worship, um, in that context of, of meeting the Lord directly. 
And so we all we have a passion for evangelization. Yes. And we find ourselves happily in this work. <laughs> and that's great. So for us to kind of uh, help our listeners and maybe even to help ourselves in the further conversations, maybe you could give me a brief notion from your perspective of what you understand evangelization to be. Well, evangelization is to let everyone know that the life raft is there. Yes. And so, you know, the fullness of truth, we believe, that is in the Catholic Church. And Christ Christ is, is beauty, he's truth, he's goodness, he had a body, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Yes. And so that in, the, in, the, in this crazy world that people feel like they're not alone in their little boat, we're all in the boat. And Christ's in the boat, right? That's what St. Pope Francis said. Christ is in the boat. Yes. So we can we can trust in that. And so building this uh, conversation of, of, of trust back into the world and, and bringing that to more people because too many people wait until the rough seas are here. And I know that I was graced by the fact that I was already in the boat before the rough seas hit. That's right. So I want to get everybody in the boat so they're safe. (laughs) You know, I think the experience of the rough seas is a universal one. There's no eliminating the rough seas, whether you're already in the boat, you're outside the boat, or you're on the shore, even there's rough seas. And that image that of Jesus in the boat, and as you mentioned, Pope Francis alluded to that, uh, at that magnificent, uh, beautiful prayer that he led for us uh, during the height of the lockdown in an empty and overcast St. Peter's Square that he walked through by himself. Now, I've seen St. Peter's Square all hours of the day or night. There's never nobody there. There was nobody there but the Holy Father. Into St. Peter's, the plaza in front, he led a meditation and used the gospel story of Jesus asleep at the boat during his storm. And that even the disciples who knew something of Jesus were terrified. And they knew the sea, and they were still terrified. And so they wake up Jesus, and he calms the storm. And, and I hope our listeners can experience that that Jesus wants to be woken up. He says to them, O ye of little faith. But I think he said it with a smile, with a sense of, I love you so much. Your faith is little, but not because you're bad, but because you're just human. We're just, we can only hold on to so much. And we need Jesus to be awake in the boat. And I, that's one of my passions for evangelization is that people can know that the Lord is present. He's not asleep. He's not gone off. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives us great commission to go into all nations and teach them and baptize them. And then he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I'm not with you asleep or dormant or hiding. I am with you. You need eyes of faith. You need ears of trust to be able to see me and hear me. And so I desire that everybody could know that the solution to every problem is already found in Jesus Christ and that uh, all we have to do is ask him to come into our hearts and he wants to, he's eager to. And how can we create environments that help us experience the Lord and remain aware of his presence? And that, my dear friends, I think can make all the difference. So, Jen, I don't, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a little bit, but as you begin to think of where you might begin to take some of the podcasts that you might be doing, what are some of the first thoughts that you have? Well, I want to really reach to uh, where people are at right now. Right now, I'm, I'm working on September as back to school month. So coming up with the ways in which our faith and our, tr- our faith traditions support the mental, the physical, and the spiritual ideas that we need to build resilience 
as we face new challenges in a school year. So I want for teachers, for parents, for students, for the conversations around the dinner table or the conversations around the lunch cafeteria table, I want to find ways to bring people back to conversations that are life-giving. And so I'm going to be working right now on September and back to school. <laughs> Using those uh, those those uh, concepts, I just want to say that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> For myself, I am uh, hoping to, uh, I'm planning to uh, lead a podcast soon, looking a little deeply at uh, Pope Francis's encyclical on the joy of the gospel, yes. how it stands with the tradition of evangelization in the modern times of Pope St. Paul VI and the work of John St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict. Benedict and Pope Francis's word about how to live the gospel uh, joyfully, the joy of the gospel. And then my next plan is to work with this book that came out several months ago, maybe a year or so ago, called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, which it talks about a new way of thinking about how we do ministry. And so I am going to invite us to uh, be uh, aware of this. Our plan, dear friends, is to do this kind of conversational uh, podcast uh, at least once a month between Jennifer and myself, and then also once a month for Jennifer to lead a podcast and for myself to lead a podcast. Most of you may have heard this from our weekly e-blast around the Archdiocese. And we will continue to use that as the format in which we let people know what's happening and when it's available. At the same time, if you do not get that e-blast, I invite you to get on our mailing list. And to do that, you go to our website, which is R-C-A-N, as in Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Newark, rcan.org slash evangelization. And if you go to that website, on the right, there'll be a link to join our mailing list. Hit that link. It'll send you to Constant Contact. And that's how we do this e-blast that goes out every week, Tuesday, late morning, early afternoon. 1230 Eastern. Eastern on Tuesdays, and that will inform you about when the next podcast is available and how to access it. But at the moment, I just want to say thank you to our listeners for patiently listening with us for this half hour or so and uh, looking more forward to our opportunity to be together. Amen. Is there anything you want to add, Jennifer? No, I think we covered most of the... (laughs) (laughs) This was fun, wasn't it? It was. Let's do this again. Okay. All right. You got it. It's a date. (laughs) Lord God, we ask you to bless uh, this work. Bless all the people who listen to it now and whenever. And bless the persons I have in their heart to bring closer to the gospel. We ask this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. God bless you. Thank you. you too. Bye-bye. Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at heartofthearc.fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter. H-U-N-T-E-R music.com This has been a pleasure and I look forward to hearing